You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. In James, once again, we took a break looking at the life of Jacob. Now we're back in James, this book that was written by uh, the brother next, the half-brother next to Jesus. Now, everybody listen closely. Jesus is the immaculate birth, conception, and birth through God our Father and through Mary. Mary and Joseph would go on to have other children. Some of the books in your New Testament are written by the half-brothers of Jesus. For example, the book we're in now, James, who is believed to have been the oldest of Jesus' siblings, and then also the book of Jude. So we're in the book of James today, chapter 3, uh, beginning, beginning, at verse, beginning at verse 1. Now let me say this, everybody look this way. I'm excited about this message today. Because I want to talk to you, I titled the message, I I titled it, The Worst Member in the Church. Now everybody listen, you and I are the church, right? Right? We're the church. So just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm the church, you're the church. Say that. Okay, because the Bible says you're the temple of God's Holy Spirit. Okay, now let me tell you what the worst member is in the church. Now turn to your neighbor and stick out your tongue. Okay. Okay. Because that's the worst member in the church. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. In fact, I gave you a little bit of trivia last week. You remember I told you, and I put this on Facebook, when a bat, when a bat exits a cave, it always goes which way? It always goes left. So if you want to start a conversation, look at somebody and say, you know, interesting bit of uh, trivia here. Did you know that when a bat exits a cave, it always goes left? Now let's talk about Jesus. See? Now let me give you another little bit of trivia. The tongue is the only muscle in the human body that is attached only at one end. Okay? The tongue is the only muscle in your body that is attached at one end and one end only. All the rest of the muscles in your body are attached at both ends. Your tongue is attached at only one end. That's what we're talking about today. Now in James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, and I want to read out of the Amplified today. I normally do the NIV, but I want to read out of the Amplified because it does that. It gives us a little bit, uh, it expands some of the terminology here. Not many of you should become teachers serving in an official teaching capacity, my brothers and sisters. For you know that we who are teachers will be judged by a higher standard because we have assumed... Now watch this, greater accountability and more condemnation if we teach incorrectly. Now that's the Amplified. Verse 2, for we all stumble and sin in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, never saying the wrong thing, he is a perfect man, 
the Amplified says, fully developed in character without serious flaws, able to bridle his own body and reign in his entire nature, the Amplified says, taming his human faults and weaknesses. And then James goes on to illustrate. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We give you glory for everything in this service. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, sometimes when you're looking at the life of Christ, and you're, you ask yourself the question, how much did Jesus grow and learn? You know, the Bible says this, he grew in stature and in favor with both God and man. He grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. So, you know, I, I wrote this down. How much was gain? How much did Jesus gain? And remember, James is next to Jesus as a sibling. How much did they gain sitting at the feet of Joseph and Mary? Just in the normal family, parent, child conversation. I don't know about you. Do you remember the Passion of Christ, Mel Gibson's production? Do you remember there's a scene when Jesus is in the, he's in the car, you know, he's a carpenter working for Joseph. Joseph, we believe, dies young, leaves Mary with the responsibility of seeing to the needs of the family. Jesus at that time would have been the oldest. And there's a scene in the Passion of Christ where Jesus has made this high table, you remember? And he's looking at, of course, it's in another language. It's, you know, but he, he looks at Mary and he tells Mary, he says, come try this out. It's a new thing. It looks like a, it's a tall high table and he's kind of up like this and he's trying to sell his mom on it. And they both have this mother and son moment where they're laughing. You know, you think about how often there was those moments. You remember the, you remember the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2? Do you know what Mary did? She goes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, they're out of wine. They're running out of wine. You remember what he said? He said, woman, what does that have to do with me? In other words, he wasn't being disrespectful. He was just simply saying, woman, mom, lady, he's beginning to distance himself. He says, woman, what, ma'am, what does that have to do with me? And you know what she says? This is what I think she did. I think she smiled at him, looked at him, and said to the servant, she's ignoring him. She looks to the servant, and she says, just do whatever he tells you, and walks away. Right? You just wonder about those moments. When Joseph would be working in the carpenter's shop there as an earthly father, and he was teaching life lessons, and he was molding and shaping the character of his family, even Jesus Christ the divine Son of God. Wow. You know, he, uh, the Bible said he grew up in wisdom and stature and favor with both God and man. And James, his earthly half-brother, is growing up along with him. They're maturing. They're growing up. And James will eventually become a believer. And to me, that's powerful. And I guess my point, I wrote down here, my point is this. Though the passage is divinely inspired, meaning it is God-breathed, I wonder how often it was the conversation between Jesus and his parents 
his half, his, his earthly dad, Joseph, his mom, Mary, James, the oldest of the siblings, when it came to the tongue, how many times did his parents, did they talk about how important it is that you and I guard what comes out of this? Everybody listen. The most powerful tool you have is that. I mean, it can build people up. It can encourage it can be positive. It can be, a, it can be a cup half full or it can be a cup half empty. It can rip up, tear down, and destroy people. The Bible said that this has the ability to murder of man, murder of woman. So defeat them that they never crawl back out of that hole that this put them in again. Wow. It's the most powerful tool that you and I have now let me give you the first point the tongue your tongue my tongue reveals the heart let me get you to take a left take a left and go over I'll use the NIV here take a left and go over to Matthew chapter 12 I want you to see this now I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you this passage frightens me in Matthew chapter 12 beginning at verse 34 watch this Matthew chapter 34, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Now, he starts off, you brood of vipers. Jesus didn't mince any words, did he? You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? Now, watch this. For out of the overflow of the what? The heart, what? The mouth speaks. Now, look at it again. Out, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks speaks now let's read on the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him verse 36 now watch this but I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have ever spoken does that frighten you like it does me? Wow. One writer said the, the tongue is the tattletale to the soul. In other words, what you and I say pretty well reveals our heart. What we think, right? In fact, if think of it this way. Your tongue is a concealed weapon. Did you know that? So if somebody looks at you and says, well, I'm a, are you a concealed carrier? Oh, yes, I am. I've got this. It's a concealed weapon. In fact, one writer said this. He said, the tongue is so dangerous that when God created us, he put the tongue in a prison behind the ivory bars of your teeth. John MacArthur said this. He said, watch it. Your tongue can slip at any moment because it's in a moist place. Slip of the tongue. How often we talk about that. And as one writer said, you can tell a lot about a person if you just get quiet and listen to him for a moment. Listen to the way they talk. Chuck Swindoll said this. He titled this passage, Bridling the Beast in Your Body. Paul in Romans 3.13 said, Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Wow. I can tell you this much, for your pastor, it's the hardest thing to control, isn't it? 
Is it for you or am I alone in the room? Take your Bible and take a, take a turn over to Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 11. Watch what Paul said, I meant what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 10, I think, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. Let's, let me see here if I'm correct here. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. Now, watch this, Matthew 15, 11. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. You see it? Now, now look on over there at verses 17 through 19, same chapter. Watch this. In verse 17, Jesus um, Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach, then out of the body? Verse 18, but the things that come out of the mouth come from where? Where do they come from? They come from the heart. And these make a man what? Unclean. Now listen to what he says, verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what makes a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. In other words, Jesus said, the problem is our tongue. Swindoll went on to make this statement. I thought it was good. He said, the tongue is neither friend nor foe. It's merely a messenger that delivers the dictates of a desperately sick heart. So every time he says in his commentary, James uses the word tongue in the passage, think heart. In other words, what you say reveals what's in your heart. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Just need to listen. When I, was in, when I was in Zimbabwe, I would often say, tedirai. Tedirai meant listen, listen closely. You see me sometimes put my finger to my ear, which means I need you to speak clearly, but I'm listening. Listening is important because you can find out what's in a person's heart. That's critical. You know, there's an Andy Griffith, uh, Andy Griffin um, episode where he's with um, Ellie. Isn't that her name, Ellie? Big, bright, beautiful smile, Ellie. And Ellie is um, going to run for political office. And in those days, in the early 1960s, that was just unheard of. And so Andy kind of laughs, and, 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 and he makes a statement. And when he makes a statement, when he says it, immediately he catches a look of Ellie, and he realizes, I said the wrong thing. So he says, I'm sorry. And then a few minutes later, he starts talking, and he says it again. And this time in that episode, Andy reaches as if he's trying to grab the word, words, and he smiles, and he looks at Ellie, and he says, oh, let me put that back in there. You ever done that? You ever said something, and immediately you knew it was the wrong thing? And you wanted to just literally melt. I remember when I met Sheila. I had, dated, I had dated a girl in college the year before Sheila whose name was Sheila. And her last name was Sheila White. Now, you, she may get mad at me for remembering her name. That's all I remember. But anyway, Sheila and I, we were on our first date. And we were in the old Jackson Mall. This will tell you how, old, how long ago it was. 
1970s. We're in the Jackson Mall, and we're walking down through the mall, and we meet, uh, I meet uh, two or three different people that I know. And every time I'd get to that person, I would say, well, this is, uh, this is Sheila, and I would introduce her as my old girlfriend. Now, look, the first time I did it, uh, that's all right. That's fine. I understand. No, no problem. No problem. But the second time, the third time, and let me tell you, I couldn't take the words and put them back. And you see, sometimes you and I say things. You know that the Jew, did you know what the Jew thought about words? The Jew saw the word, your words, my speech, your speech, as words, once, as forms of energy. Once they were released, you couldn't get them back. It's like, it's like lighting a match. You've heard me say this. You light a match, listen, you blow it out, everybody listen. That light of that match travels 186,000 miles a second for eternity. Listen, everybody listen, because we don't think about it. The Bible seemed to teach, and the Jew thought that when you and I let out a word, those words that we released from our mouth went into, listen, they were a form of energy that went all the way into eternity. John MacArthur went on to make this statement. He said, and God has the instrument to gather up all the words of our entire lifetime of speech and to make us accountable for every single one of them. Wow. Let me ask you something. Do you use your tongue to build up, to encourage? Are, are you a positive person? In fact, I wrote this question down. Are you positive, encouraging, uplifting? who sees your role as a Christian, as a, as, a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, to go out and to build up a broken world? If not, will people avoid you? Are you a half full or a half empty? You know, if there's anything we could teach our children today in parenting, is teaching them the power of this. You have an unbelievable power at your disposal. You can go out into life and encourage and lift up and, and do those things that build up people. Give them hope. Give them a future. Or you can go out and be drab and dull and depressed, losing your joy, living in willful, defiant disobedience to His Word, and you become a half-empty glass and nobody wants to be around you. They'll run from you. You're either, listen, you and I are either a magnet that is drawing people. And I can tell you, usually we draw people by that right there. Because they know when they get around us. You know, this morning I was telling them, this is so funny. Y'all know I got Coach, my big dog. He's a Dogo Argentino. 110 pounds of nothing but bad attitude sometimes beautiful dog. I mean, when I walk the dog, seldom do I ever walk the dog. People don't stop. I'll quit bragging on my dog. I've got pictures I can show you. <laughs> but anyway, so I get up this morning. It's 71 degrees. You know, it's been unbelievably sweltering hot. 
but I still have to walk this dog because he's high energy. So we get out this morning. It is an unbelievably beautiful morning, just a beautiful sky, cool temperatures, and I'm walking him, and we're on this lonely stretch of road, and buddy, he's just like this. He looks like a Tennessee walker. His head's held up. He literally, he can smile. Now, you may say, well, that's crazy, Brother Jeff. There ain't no dog smile. Everybody says that the dog smiles. Now, he smiles because I smile. But me and me, we just walking along there. Bethany said she came one day, and I don't know if she was just not feeling good or having a bad day, or Eric got up on the wrong side. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, she said she was coming down there, and she said, but, you know, there was Brother Jeff walking his dog. He had a big old smile. I just, I just nod, smile, speak to everybody, wave at people, you know. Do you know the impact of that in this world today? Do you know what it is to walk into a place like where Marge works and see that smile and that passion and that energy and that joy? I've been down there where Marge works. Some people are just like a magnet. They just draw people. Sheila's that way. Bill, just a magnet. You just have these people. They just got a smile, got a good attitude. You, if you want to laugh and get around Belle, you're going to laugh. She just laughs. I don't even know what she's laughing about. You know, Wiersbe called this chapter, he said it's the world's smallest and largest troublemaker. And, tells the, and he went on to tell the story of a, a, a notorious gossip who used her tongue in a bad way, but she was a member of a church. One day she went to the pastor, knocked on the door, pastor opened the door, said, could he help her? And she said, Pastor, God has convicted me of how I talk, the gossip, because she was an endless gossip. You know those kind of people? Are you one of those? And she just stood there and said, Pastor, I'm just ashamed. I feel like I bring division to the church, disunity in my family, among my friends, my tongue, my, this gossiping. I've got to get control of it. And I feel led of the Lord to just take my tongue and lay it at the altar. And he laughed and said, well, ma'am, I can tell you, our altar is about 14 feet, but you can give it a try. I remember one time going to a senior adult's home. I was working in her yard, cleaning up her yard, cutting her grass. And at lunchtime, she said, come in. She said, listen, and she had an unbelievable meal. She had all fresh vegetables, fried okra. She had mashed potatoes, homemade mashed potatoes, had all this stuff. And she had the best cut of beef I've ever eaten in my life. It was so tender. And man, I just sat there and I was a young teenage high school kid. I just literally consumed it. One plate, then a second plate, fresh tomatoes. I mean, I ate. And she said, I have never seen anybody enjoy tongue as much as you have. I tell you what, it took everything in me not to throw up. I had been eating beef tongue. You know, he goes on to say this. He said, listen, this thing of the tongue... He said, be careful in chapter 3, verse 1. He said, be careful because you may want to be a teacher. You may want to be in a position of authority. He said, but understand this. If you can't control this, you don't need to be here. You don't need to be teaching. You don't need to be downstairs teaching. You don't need to be teaching children or teenagers or youth because if you can't control this and put it under the lordship of Jesus Christ you can bring a great deal of heartache to the kingdom of God 
You know, I, young people, a lot of times young men will say, I just want to pray. I remember one guy, bless his heart, a great guy, but he said, I just want to preach. I just want to preach. And I wanted to look at him. I said, but what about pastoring? Some people want to preach. They just don't want to pastor. And so James says here, he says, listen, he says, listen, he says, not many of you should become teachers serving in an official teaching capacity, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we, and he includes himself, we who are teachers, will be judged by a higher standard. Everyone look this way. Whatever position you hold that has authority, everybody listen. If you're a husband, the authority that you have over your wife and your children. If you're a mom, the authority that you have over your children. If you're a teacher, oh my, teacher, listen to me closely. You better guard every word. I'm not just talking to Sunday school teachers. I'm talking to teachers in any shape, form, or fashion. Anytime you take a position of authority and use this, understand this, you have the potential of doing an enormous amount of damage if it is not under the lordship of Jesus Christ. James said, listen, don't desire, don't run after this position of teaching, being in a position of authority if you cannot control this because there's a great deal of account. Everybody listen, there I am going to be held accountable before God for every single word that came out of my mouth when I stepped up here. James is saying, be very careful. You know, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said at Corinth, he said, you know, there, there shouldn't be too many teachers. It, they, it was just bedlam. People would stand up. Hey, and people could do that. In the synagogue, you could stand up. You remember Jesus when he began his ministry. He was in the synagogue. He stood up, walked to the podium, read a passage out of Isaiah, and then went and sat back down and taught. You know, the Bible in the synagogue allowed people to do that. People could stand up. In fact, Paul said the problem was everybody was standing up and talking. Paul said do it decently and in order. But people could stand up. But James is saying if you stand up in that open environment, you better be real careful what you say. Because you'll be held accountable. I'll be held accountable. Does that make sense? Now we'll close in a moment, but he talks about two points here. In James chapter 3, it's the power of the tongue to be used in a position of authority which could damage the gospel, which could damage or misrepresent Christ or dishonest, uh, dishonor the Scripture. Let me tell you, when I, when I speak, everybody, even yesterday, Sheila's sister's funeral um i was speaking to a packed chapel there were some people that were there that may not attend church there were people there from all walks of life do you know what i did after you do you this is me after speaking sheila did did I, you know, did I say, or how did you read, or how did you interpret, or this or that? Do you know that I'm sitting there weighing and going over everything that has been said to ensure that I am not accountable before God for saying something that could be misunderstood, I could be I can be misrepresented, misrepresented, or worse, God can be. Because I said something wrong. 
How many of us in testimony and witnessing and talking to people about the faith and talking to them about the Bible and talking to them about what we believe, how often do we stop and weigh our words? I have a friend of mine who was speaking um, in in a program last week, and they called for some advice. I said, listen, speak slowly and weigh everything that you're saying because what you're saying is being broadcast out. You know, James says, be careful. The power of the tongue. He goes on to say the power of tongue, and we don't don't have time here. We'll get verse 3. You can put bits in a horse's mouth to make them obey you. He talks about his ship and its rudder, the ability of the tongue. You see, the tongue has a lot of abilities. It it, It can be used in a position of authority, but we have to be careful because we'll be accountable for that. It also can be used to control. In other words, listen, and I'll close in a moment. If you and I can control our tongue, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says we're perfect. Well, what does that mean? That means that we are at a level of maturity that we have now been able to put a reign on this and bring it under the lordship of Jesus Christ to the degree that now that we can control our tongue, we can control every part of our life. Oh, I did that to wake you up just in case you were sleeping. Isn't that right? You know, one more Andy and Andy Griffith, I don't know if you remember, but one time Andy came in the office. He thought he'd have some fun with Barney. And he looked at Barney and he said, do you feel all right? He just said it like that. Do you, do you feel all right? Barney said, yeah, man, I feel great. And then you could see the wheels turning. And Barney starts uh, why did you ask that? Uh, and Andy does this. Andy, you know what Andy does? He says, I don't know. You just, he just does that. You just, he never said anything. You just, and he does like that. And Marty said, what do you mean? And uh, do, he said, do I look flush? Is there something wrong? And, and, and Andy said, no, no. Just, you just kind of, I, I don't know. And he never says anything. Barney literally gets sick. And the next thing he does is he grabs the phone on me. He says, Sarah, get the doctor quick. And he looks at Andy and he says, Andy, stay with me. And Andy said, I'm with you, buddy. He went from feeling good, strong, to somebody looking at him and saying, do you you feel all right? You just look kind of, wow, that's power. Well, you and I, we're going we're gonna to give an account for everything that's come out of our mouth, and this has kind of been an introduction to a topic. But do you know what the greatest thing that you and I can do with this? Is Romans 10, 9 that says this, that if you and I will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, what does the Bible say? you will be saved. Isn't that great? You know, Aaron Burr, Alexander Hamilton, one of the great political figures 
of our time. And Ron Cheneau wrote a book on Alexander the Hamilton that is just a fascinating look at the life of one of the great men that shaped our, our nation, Aaron Burr. I met Alexander Hamilton. Aaron Burr was the vice president of the United States. He and Alexander Hamilton had words. And you know what Hamilton did? He and Aaron Burr had a pistol duel early one morning. They're in New York City, really in a part of New York, down near the river. Aaron Burr, the vice president of the United States, met Alexander Hamilton. They chose their pistols. And Aaron Burr shot and killed Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton lived for a few days. And for all, for all our African-American, Alexander Hamilton was one of the great political voices for the Emancipation Proclamation, for the freedom of the African-American and slavery. He was a powerful voice. Aaron Burr was not. It was said before Aaron Burr died, or at one point in his life, that he was in a service like this, and he was listening to the gospel. He's the grandson of Jonathan Edwards, who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God, Puritan. Aaron Burr came under conviction. You know what he did? They said for about two weeks he wrestled with conviction. He felt like his life was not right with Christ. And so one night he got up, he walked out into, into a starlit night. He walked out there, and when he got there, he just he, he made this statement. He said, God, I'm tired of this conviction going, in my heart, going on in my heart. God, if you'll just leave me alone, I'll never bother you again. It was said before Aaron Burr died, and he died a lonely, broken man, that he tried to rekindle the call of God on his life, and he couldn't. And said he, he died a broken man, feeling as if he was lost and on his way to hell. You know what the Bible says? You and I have the tongue. We have the ability to do all the good that we can do. But the greatest thing we can do with this tongue is to come to a point in our life that we say, Lord, I agree with you. I'm a sinner. I repent of that sin. And I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I invite you to come into my heart. Forgive me. And I begin this journey. Have you done that? Let's stand and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we love you. And we've Lord, we'll begin the journey now of looking in James chapter 3 and looking at the power of this instrument that you've put within the confines of our body that, Lord, can be used for so much good. There have been people in my life, there have been professors, there have been teachers. I, I think of, um, of R.C. Sproul's wife, who looked at me one day after reading one of my papers. She said, I love what you write. I so enjoy it. Don't stop. I think about those professors that encouraged me and, Lord, just, just built, they built uh, what I needed to live life. Lord, I also um, remember a high school teacher I remember one day her laughing and 
making a joke of my Yankee accent at the time because we had moved to Mississippi. And I remember when she finally looked after kind of glancing over the popular kids, she kind of laughed at me and then asked what the question was. Boy, I shut down. That teacher, that English teacher in that moment wounded me. High school kid. She kept asking me, well, what was your question? I said, no, ma'am, I don't have a question. And I never had a question again to that teacher. And to this day, though she died years later, to this day, her name, her memory, only brings pain to my heart. But also think about that sweet African-American teacher, Miss Lee, that English teacher that I would have the next year. That looked at me one day and she said, Jeff, she said, God's going to use you greatly. You're going to go a long ways and far. She didn't know I'd go to Africa and Europe and she didn't know I would travel. She didn't know how God would use me. But that sweet, precious saint of a woman could see that God would do something with me. I've never, ever forgotten sweet Miss Lee who built into me something that is with me to this day. Lord, may we realize that that's what we carry out of this room. We can walk down in the next building and we can forget that people have been cooking. We can forget that there are people that are in a position of serving. We can forget those that have sacrificed and given their time, and we can complain that food's not hot or mine's not completely done or this or that. Or we can smile and look at them and say, thank you so much for what you've done here today. May we also realize that children are like a sponge. Oh, they're like a sponge. And may we build into them such courage and strength and Christ-likeness, and positive energy, that they'll go out and shape and change the world for the better. Lord, I finally pray, though, if somebody does not know you, that they would invite you today into their heart and begin the greatest journey they'll ever live in Christ. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.